Hello and welcome to Where Do We Begin? I'm Alex Winwood, flyweight boxer for Australia. Let's go. Thanks for that, Alex. My name is Harper and my co-host is back after a couple weeks off, a little stint on the sidelines. He's Lockie. How are you, Lockie? I'm good, thanks, Halfs. And I'd just like to thank you, uh, all our fans there, for the thousands of DMs that we received asking where I was and asking for me to come back. Um, I was off doing a bit of study and don't worry, your messages received us. They were heard. And, and as you can see, you got what you wanted. Lockie's back on the show and he's back to talk to another amazing guest. Harps, tell us a little bit about Alex. Yeah, Alex, what an awesome guy to speak to. Awesome, excellent guest. He's got some huge ambitions, this guy, and seriously, some really interesting, really controversial, perhaps, takes on lots of things that you'll find out about, and when you find out about him, throughout the podcast, because podcasts are nothing without a bit of community, remember to use the hashtag on Twitter, be a part of a conversation, hashtag WDWB Olympics, wherever you want, really, hashtag WDWB Olympics, join the conversation, get into it, Lockie, what do you say, I reckon we just dive in, mate. Let's dive in. Okay, guys, now I'm very, very excited for this one, particularly because I've been looking forward to having a guest on the show who weighs a bit less than me, and we've got what we wanted here because that's just the nature of his sport, really. He's a flyweight boxer, being the Olympic series. He's going to the Olympics to represent Australia. We're going to cheer him on, and he goes by the name of Alex Winwood. How are you, Alex? Yeah, not bad yourselves. Oh, absolutely stoked to have you on and thrilled to get the chance to have a chat with you today. Alex, it is an absolute pleasure. And you were just telling us off air about your training schedule and, mate, I don't know how you do it. Can you talk us a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, usually I work a full-time job, so it's nowhere near as full-on. But being in camp, being able to do this full-time, it's like 16 sessions a week, broken up to two days, back-to-back three sessions, and then Wednesday is a little bit of a cool-off with only two. Um, and then Thursday, Thursday, Friday, another three sessions both days. And then Saturday is just uh, either maybe two, depending on if we're sparring or not. So, yeah. Yeah, so something that I just want to cover off quickly, because obviously in this Olympic series, we're covering a whole range of sports. Uh, on the previous episode, we had a woman for, uh, representing Australia for Taekwondo. Uh, so we're just trying to get all the guests to – uh, lots of the sports are a bit obscure, so we're getting the guests to kind of explain how you win in your sport, really. Boxing is pretty well known, but just for yep. the guests that don't know, how do you win a boxing bout in the Olympics? Obviously, your flyweight, yeah? Yes. So um, our fights are judged um, per round. Um, each round, the winner will receive 10 points. The loser will receive nine or less, depending on how big of a difference that round was. So if it was a, you know, a, a close round, they'll get nine points. If it was a dominant round or if they got a point or they got dropped multiple times, they'll go eight points, seven points, six points, um, so forth, so on. Um, and so you pretty much have to win two of three rounds um, over the course of the bout to, on three of the five judges. So three of the five judges have to give you two rounds. Yeah, and how does it work to qualify for the Olympics in boxing? Like can any of the, I guess, the really well-named, well-known, sorry, boxers, like can Floyd Mayweather, can he qualify for the Olympics or is it a bit different to that? Yeah, so it used to be just amateurs alone. Um, so he wasn't allowed to be pro. Uh, that's changed since Rio. 
uh, now you can be a pro and compete at the games, but you still have to go through all the qualifying systems um, and your country has to be select you to, to represent them at, um, at a qualifying event. So that's where I, I qualified in Jordan um, and I had to box off against three other countries to, to win my spot. Does that mean that, do you think that this game is going to be, games are going to be even more competitive in the fact that now you have professional and amateur amateurs at the tournament? Um, I don't think it makes too much of a difference. Uh, the best amateurs in the world could could beat some of the best pros in the world, um, depending on uh, what weights you're looking at. And the course of the fight's different compared to a pro bow. they they got multiple rounds to, to do what they need to do. But over... Over a three-round three fight, you know, anything can happen. You only need to lose, you know, the first two rounds and, and that's the that's the fight gone. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, I've been doing a bit of research. Uh, so, obviously, you're an amateur and your full-time job, I think you might be taking a bit of time off at the moment. But usually, uh, are you an apprentice electrician for a shipbuilding company? Is that correct? Is that what I've found out? Is that information correct? Yeah, that, that is correct. So, um, I work for BAE Systems. Uh, it's a... British-based company, but um, they have an Australian sector and we contract out to the Defence Force and do Navy build ships and uh, even uh, they do jet building and that there. So it covers all of the Defence Force departments, yeah. Mate, that's, yeah. that's unreal. So obviously, working full-time, uh, it's got to be so, so hard trying to be like this uh, elite, be at the highest level you possibly can be but still like self-funding and getting all this training in, I, I can't even imagine like how much kind of stress you're under trying to be uh, kind of balanced both things really. Yeah, it's been um, – it, it was a choice that I had to make uh, back in I think it was 2018 or 2017 to take up work uh, just because boxing wasn't obviously paying the bills. Um, I missed out on con game selection and – I, you know, everyone has to make a living. Um, then I did choose to go into to look for an apprenticeship. Um, luckily that I found the best company to support me, you know, that they allow me to go do what I need to do. And they've given me an extensive amount of time each year as, as a benchmark events come up, like a world championships, things like that. Now, obviously the games. So obviously you're training a lot at the moment as we touched on earlier, but when, when you are obviously also working full-time, how much can you get trained and how hard, I guess how hard is that in the fact that you're doing a really physical job as well and then you have to go and train afterwards? Yeah, uh, so back home usually might be two, two times a day or once a day um, throughout the working week. Um, and in the morning I'll train out, like I start work at six, so I'll start my first session at a quarter past four and get about an hour in and then head off to work and then followed up by boxing specifically in the afternoons um, all the way up till the Friday. Yeah, and then just like a, a bit of pad work or, or sparring on the weekend with my coach. Yeah, yeah, and uh, kind of looking into it a bit, you haven't been boxing for that long, only since about 2013, I believe. So how'd you get into boxing? Because obviously it's pretty like uh, – it's a big decision going to boxing because it can be potentially a very dangerous sport. How would you get into it when you were, uh, how old were you, 16, 15? Yeah. So I was I was 15 when I started training. Uh, my coach came down to to our high school. He he ran some boxing classes uh, once a week. And then a couple of us got asked if we wanted to go do it outside of 
outside of the school. Um, I didn't take that offer up until uh, maybe the December school holidays um, when I just ran into him in the street. And that after that, the rest is history and I, yeah. And you must have obviously become quite proficient in the sport quite quickly because you were close, were you close to qualifying in 2016 in Rio, which mustn't have been too far after. Um, yeah, uh, like I've, I went to the, the selection event and things like that. It was the first time I won a national title and it was on um, the Australian team. As I won one fight in my first qualifying tournament and then I lost in my second. Uh, I think I had to win three consecutively uh, to, to qualify at the, at, for them games. Um, but I was only new. I was only boxing for like three years at that point. It was... It was a bit of an achievement to get there and um, have my eyes opened up properly to, to what was ahead of myself. Um, at that time, it was the first time that Australia had to qualify through Asia. So it was Oceania Asia at the same time. Usually um, before that, like London and before, um, it was just go to Oceania, you qualify in Oceania. So we'd had to be competing against New Zealand and Papua New Guinea and things like that. And the only person I beat when I went to the Asian tournament was New Zealand and he probably would have been my only opponent if I was to box in Asia. But I'm glad that, that it didn't happen the first time because I I wasn't experienced enough. I got shown what, what a world-class amateur was and you know, now we're here today. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe your, your great grandfather, he was a bit of a name in the boxing world as well. So has that been a bit of an influence on you kind of getting the inspiration to take boxing as far as you can and push yourself as hard as you have? Yeah. Um, my pop, Brian Bennell, which was my, my nan's um, brother, he did box as a pro. Um, but I didn't know that until after I started. Um, and my grandfather even, even boxed in the tents and things like that. And a lot of his cousins, um, on my mum's side, but a lot of these conversations didn't happen until after I started fighting and then, I was told later on and I think I just gravitated to it because uh, probably the physique that I had, the stature, I wasn't built for football. Um, I was a bit small. So once I got to compete against people my own size, uh, I think, I, yeah. Yeah, so you you grew up around these people and they just kind of didn't tell you that, uh, what, what is it, your great uncle that was a pro boxer? That, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I, I never met him. He passed away before I was born. Um, but my my pop did never told me about his boxing in the tent, and and that back in the day was once boxing was a in the golden era over it uh, back in the seventies and eighties and things like that. Um, but you know, it was is the conversations that I had later on in life was things that I cherish. It, it kind of bring things full circle. Yeah, yeah, and. I know uh, being Indigenous man as you are, you, you've said in uh, some interviews that I've watched and listened to that uh, kind of storytelling is a big big part of your identity. Now, I'm guessing your family's had a big influence uh, on you for that. So can you touch on that a bit and tell us a bit about that part of your identity? Yeah, so I'm a Noongar man. Uh, so I'm, I'm from Perth, West Australia, and that, that's where my tribe is from. Um, and I've just been immersed in the culture since I was young. So it hasn't been until I've grown up and, and I've had the um, the privilege to to learn more and then understand that not everyone had had the privilege that I did. Um, some people only, you know, once they become an adult, 
can identify with our Aboriginal culture and things like that. And I'm a, I'm a very fortunate person um, to, to have lived that and now to be able to share my experience and, and find out about other people's um, heritages and things like that. Yeah, it's super interesting to hear about, I guess, your connection to your past and your heritage. Um, just mo- just moving on, something that, I've, that I find just crazy is the fact that, so you have to fight at 52 kilos. And for somebody that, mate, I can barely keep underbody triple digits, mate, how, how do you go about that? Like that is, it must be so incredibly tough to not only train, but your diet must have to be such a, spe- each thing so specific to keep and make sure that you're, the correct weight for a fight yeah so i i've never um tried to cut too hard i've i've always tried to do it in a sensible way um as in like a lot of people dehydrate way too early um and it's definitely not the right thing to do and i've just had to speak to the nutritionist yesterday to make sure um my weight's near where it needs to be and i'm at the moment just not having enough calories and my weight's starting to drop a bit bit too early so we're trying to get a hold of that um make sure that the food that i've got access to going overseas and things like that is is still going to be relevant and um because I've, I've been to some camps uh like camps and fights and things like that and the food's completely different and you you don't know how much you need to eat and things like that especially when you're going out of your home environment so it's been it's been an education on myself like not too many boxing coaches uh very, very clicked on with the weight. It's all about sweating it out. And <laughs> now with the new day and age and all the science behind it, you know, uh, it's going to be a lot safer because, you know, people have unfortunately passed away f- for things so so trivial as this. Um, so Yeah, um, really? Yeah, the, there was a girl back in uh, Perth that um, I think she was getting ready for a, um amateur kickboxing tournament or boxing tournament and – she was out sweating one day and, and collapsed and just never recovered. Oh, gee whiz, mate. That's, um, yeah, that's horrible. And I guess back in the day, it would have been a lot of, a lot of sauna sessions and stuff like you said to us. Yeah, exactly. out, get all that water, water weighed out. But I'm interested. So what is your maintenance calorie? Like, how many calories do you intake on a day on a training day compared to a non-training day? Well, at the moment, it needs to be like over 2,000, but it's Definitely hasn't been there um, for the last couple of days and that's why I, I know I'm pulling up sore. Um, so I'm trying to really get a hold of that right now. Um, we need to be within 5% over our fight weight. So that's like 3.6 kilos for me. Um, and I'm hitting like the two, two and a half mark right now. So I can I need to bump them calories up, make sure that before and after every session that I'm refueling and, and getting ready for the next, next ex, um, session because it's, to do this amount of training is very taxing on your body. I don't think too many other sports understand from a boxing perspective um, the amount of effort that we put into every every session. Um, not too many of them are cruisy. Uh, we have we we don't have a season off anything like that. It's like ten weeks to actually get ready. So the ten weeks is full on, and then after you come off one camp, you might have a few few weeks you know, to rest or whatever, and then you're straight back into it and you have to carry that same execution in your in every session on the next block and the next block. And then before you know it, you've just done a whole year at going 110% when like when I used to play footy and things like that, it was more about like you'd have a day off and things like that in between. But we're just lucky to have a couple of hours off in between <laughs> sessions throughout the day. <laughs> 
Mate, just going back to your 2,000 calories comment, that, is, that isn't a lot though because like the average daily yeah. intake is 2,000 calories and you're yep. training three times a day, yep. 110%. Like your body yeah. would use up all that fuel. Well, that's, yep. that's crazy. That I, I would have expected it to be a lot higher to be honest. Yeah, I think, I think it really needs to be like like 3,400. Oh, but, um, easy. Yeah. And we're, that's why I need to weigh up all the food I've been eating lately because – I spoke to her yesterday and then she's like, oh, tell me what you've been eating. And I just said something. She goes, far out. You're not even having 2,000 calories a day. I was like, I'm thinking, oh, maybe I'll sneak some snacks in there somewhere. And I was like, I don't think I was too too specific as, as to what I was <laughs> what I was telling her. Um, but hopefully she lets me know what's going on. You know, like my job is to box. And as long as all our support staff are there to help us out um, in these other aspects. So hopefully... Oh, it's good. Is it quite mentally draining having to like count out each bit of like food and having to be so meticulous with your diet and your training? Uh, and like you said before, the fact that it's like it's 365 days a year, there's, you're lucky to get a couple of hours off. It must be really tough mentally just sort of keep up with that and always stay motivated. Yeah, definitely. Like um, there's, there's a lot of boxes, especially that like really they, they do struggle because um, we're not we're not at home most of the time as well. Um, we're usually away in camp or abroad. Um, and besides just like training full time all the time, you know, you, you're not you don't get to talk to to people that you're usually hanging around with and and being comfortable and all that. So you, I think, boxing as, as a sport itself, you have to be mentally strong. So you you wouldn't find too many people at the top that don't know how to cope with it. Yeah, and. Uh- in the previous episode, we spoke to someone who's in another kind of weight division Olympic sport, uh, Taekwondo athlete, Stacey Heimer. Uh, so I just, f- for all these sports with weight divisions, I've just got to, I imagine it, like everything you do is just you're in the back of your head or even even at the front of your mind, you're thinking about, fuck, how's this going to affect my weight? Like it's just got to completely take over your life, eh? Yeah, some people get... um pretty OCD about it uh like even the closer it gets to to comp when you have to jump on the scales because pretty much um you get one you get a set of test scales before you actually get on official scales and they would be set out 100 grams uh heavier than the other ones so if you're technically on or 100 grams over on them you should be right to get on the the official scales because once you get on there you don't get a second chance so if you weigh heavy you're out of the competition um, so I've heard of people like so dehydrated that when they get on the test scales, they'll, they'll put a bit of water in their mouth just to see how much they are with that in their body so they could swallow it before they have to go back and jump on the real scales. Mm, and just quickly, uh, I don't think it's actually been brought up. Your weight uh, that you have to be under is 52 kilos, yeah? Yeah, so we have to be on 52 kilos or under. You can't be above Mate, that's yeah, crazy, that's and it sounds like you're saying it sounds like really unsafe. Is it? Is eating disorders? I've got no idea. I haven't done any research. Is eating disorders quite prevalent among the sport just due to the fact that this has to be such intense cuts leading up to competition? Yeah, definitely. So there's a lot of people that you know crash diet all the time. Um, I've been guilty of it myself in the past. Uh, so you know, like we we be really strict for fortnight for a month, whatever whatever it takes to get to the goal, and then after that, it's just like you've already starved yourself and and sacrificed all, all the good meals and things like that and you just go ham and people blow out and that's where 
um, you'll see a lot of boxes, especially on the pros because they get a day weigh-in, that they'll be like 7 kilos, 10 kilos over what they just weighed in the day before. Yeah, I've actually... um. In the office, a girl that used to work in the same office as me, she's actually like, she did amateur fighting and stuff and she did that. She did crash dieting. So like she'd eat whatever she'd want. Then suddenly you get 10 weeks before the competition and basically for 10 weeks would have like one smoothie a day and that was it. Yeah. And it's just like, it just, I'm like, how do you do, like, why would you try with such a high, I guess, so many, so much kilos in such a short like amount of time? It's crazy. Yeah. It's definitely, definitely not smart. And I hope there needs to be more education um, around it in our sport and, and, and it's getting there. Um, hopefully um, something, something needs to be done on a broader scale, but, uh, you know, that, that's where I think a lot of ex-athletes that, that started to understand that later in their career need to hang around to, to educate younger people. Yeah, now we've covered some dark stuff. I've got one more uh, kind of <laughs> section about some kind of depressing it's not, stuff. It's not all doom and gloom here, we yeah. promise, Alex. <laughs> It'll get lighter in just a few minutes, I promise you. But in boxing, of course, the sport of boxing, most contact sports, big issue right now, and I don't think it's going away anytime soon, concussion. So, and like boxing, obviously, it's just massive, massive issue because like you're, you're smashing people in the head all over the place. Uh, so what's your kind of take on how it's being um, governed, how the governing bodies are all dealing with the issue of concussion in boxing at the moment? Um, in my last few tournaments, we've had concussion tests uh, before when on our first fight and then uh, on our last fight. So we just put like VR goggles on and there's, there's a ball that will pop up on the, really? on the screen and you have to, they, they're testing your reaction to see how fast you're, you're looking at them. Um, but I personally do think that there should be uh, head scans annually, if that, because, you know, besides competing, you tr- you spar way more than you compete. You might do like a thousand rounds for, for three rounds. So I think there's a lot more damage done in the gym than there is in fights. Yeah. And do, do you know anyone that's um, kind of had to quit boxing that, in your age or older that do you know anyone personally that's had to quit boxing because of concussion issues? Yeah. One of my early opponents, um, had to, had to chuck it in because he, um, he had, he had something wrong with his brain. Um, and apparently if he, if he did box on, it could have, there could have been one punch that, that sealed his fate. But, you know, I'm glad that he got a hold of that and, and looked into it because, you know, it's not mandatory and, it, and I really do think it should be. Um, I personally think once I turn pro that, that I'll be doing doing um, concussion tests and that there more often and, and getting head scans just to just to make sure, you know, it's your life that you're gambling with and, and at the end of the day you, you have to provide for more than yourself and your family so you, you can't be playing with your health. Yeah, it's, oh, it must be really scary and for I know just an example I know from footy, there, there have been heaps in heaps of sports, but Polly Farmer uh, recently passed away, the ex-Cats Ruckman, and he was found to have big CTE concussion issues in his brain uh, in an autopsy, I guess. But it's just kind of devastating the toll it takes and for so long was just not talked about at all. And it's only been in the last few years, really, that it's even been brought up. Yeah, definitely. So, like, I've watched that movie, um, Concussion, and once I looked at that, it was just like you, you, you do get a bit scared, but I think you have to be self-aware as to 
and honest to, to people in your camp that actually how you're feeling. Like, um, I don't know if I've been digged in a fight um, or in a sparring match that it won't go past that and I'll just be, I'll say, all right, I'm, I'm done and I'll, and I'll go sit down and my coach is more than happy to, to leave me alone for, for a couple of days, um, you know, but there's there's guys out there that have been stopped in fights and then they're not meant to be competing for or even sparring for the next 30 days and they're straight back in there. Um, and it's just an ego thing and, you know, the, the culture around that needs to, needs to change. Yeah, I'm interested. Have you ever had any concussions, like whether from training or from just a boxing match? Um, I don't think so. I've been, you know, like dazed a little bit and things like that. But I, I, have been, I got concussed when I was playing footy. Um, I went yeah, out for a mark and I fell on my back and I smashed my head on the floor. Um, oh, no. And that, that is when I knew, like comparing that to, to other things and spe- speaking to the doctors and that, um, I don't know. I don't think that I've actually been concussed in, in a boxing match. Or so what is even it? Yeah. Sparring. Okay. So I, well, that's good that you've never had to experience that, but what is the current protocols in the sport? Because I know like Harper said in the fact that there's a lot more research into it. It's gone from potentially like one week to, I know like the AFL's currently got a 12 day policy, but even I've spoke to my cousin who's a doctor and she, she recommended six weeks off after a concussion uh, what, what in boxing, like how, how long would it be if you got concussed in a sparring or in a match, how long till you would be back in the ring? I think that uh, the first time it happens, it's 30 days. Um, if it happens again within, within six months of that first time, it's six months after that um, and then so forth and so on. And it gets progressively worse. So I think uh, after the next one, I think there's a, there's a period with, within a year or something. If you get concussed again, then you have to have two years off. Um, but... Who regulates that? Oh, I'm unsure because at the end of the day, they can just go back and start training and things like that, or or go somewhere else. But you know, it's it's up to the individual to to listen to the advice that they've been given and take it serious. Yeah, it's just got got to be so so scary. Like your first concussion, even if it ends up being your last one, it could just like completely haunt you and mess you up for the rest of your life and like even worst case scenario even take your life and that oh mate like are there real fears that you've had over the years in your throughout your boxing career about how you could be affected by concussion and just taking constant hits in general um not not anything more than like um being worried about uh, you know, a swollen hand or anything like that. I, I think I'm, I don't take punishment in an excessive, in the excessive amounts um, on, on, a, on a regular basis. So, you know, I might have the odd one tough fight or the odd one tough hit, but it's never too consecutive. And I think if you are starting to, to get to that point in your career where you just, you can't seem to protect yourself, yeah, it's time to, to leave the sport. Yeah, I can I can tell, mate, and I think you're obviously doing it with like the best attitude that you can, and it's fortunate in the fact that you haven't had to face concussions too much. And like we said, now we'll move on to some a few more positives. Now let's talk about your Olympic qualifying and how was that? So it was over in Jordan in what in 2019, Amman, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it was in Amman, Jordan. Um, in 2020, I think it was March. It was I meant believe. to be in Wuhan, funnily enough. <laughs> yeah, F- five, five weeks beforehand when, like, just, like, 
pretty much before anyone kind of knew about COVID was getting like videos, your default microphone has changed to microphone. Okay. Can you still hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Just good. keep going. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. So five weeks before uh, like it got rescheduled, um, was meant to go to Wuhan and was training in India and was seeing all the videos and things like that that was going on in China. I was like, oh, well, don't know what's about to happen here. <laughs> and then the coaches pretty much told us, like, look, um, we don't think that the Olympic Committee is going to allow you to go qualify, even if it's still on. Um, and a couple of the boys wasn't wasn't too happy about the whole situation. Like, a lot of people put their everything they have from that, like, put their life on hold to, to qualify for this. And um, by the end of the week, like, two days before we was about to fly out, then the whole the uh, tournament got scrapped from from where it was meant to be held in Wuhan, and then um, it, they said they're going to post a post a later date, so we had to fly home back to Australia. I think the week later, then they told us it was going to be in Jordan in fo- four weeks. At that point, so we had like maybe maybe five days or something back home, and then that's when we're straight back into camp. Went over to Canberra and then over to Thailand for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and it's just got to be. Um the best feeling kind of winning that final fight and on a in a fight off i believe so it was really like qualified at the last minute kind of thing uh and especially considering some of the challenges you face uh which we might touch on a bit later and i know you said uh going into the competition that uh you're not going there to make up numbers uh you're going there to uh you're not going there to take a loss so you're feeling pretty confident heading in but even still that it's pure ecstasy that's got to be one of the best days of your life surely winning that bout that fight yeah it was um it was surreal like uh they had changed um how that was allowing uh they wanted since rio um there was a couple controversy losses and and decisions um so they really had to clean up the sport for tokyo and one of the decisions that they made is to uh, show the crowd and the corner, what the score was that from the last round. Um, so this was the first time that it's been trialed, and first round that I got, th- I got lost by three two. So I had two judges. He had one three. Um, second round, same thing. So technically, I thought I lost, but um, two two of the judges both swapped over. Four of the judges swapped over, and one stayed with him, um, which just meant that. Even though I lost three two two times, that the scores were both tied because it was ten nine ten nine, so both of us was nineteen uh, a piece, except for the last judge which had him twenty up. Um, and then going into the last round, I thought I already lost, so I was like, "Well, I need to go try stop him. This is the only way that I can f- win this fight." And pretty much from that start of that first bell to the end to the end of it in that last. In the third round, it was just like go 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 for me, um, and I was pretty confident that I won by ten eight in the in the last one. But my coaches obviously read the score wrong, um, <laughs> then they figured it out, and then they said, "Mate, you might have a you might have a chance here." And I've, and I've walked back. I was like, "Yeah, I, I feel like I've won that. If any bloody fucking fight that I that I've ever competed in, I was like, I've win I've won this one." And sure enough, yeah, when they caught it out, it was just like everything went blank, and yeah, it's just just yeah it was it was a moment of ecstasy and and definitely like 
one of the proud moments in my boxing career. Mate, that's mm. that's uh, that's unbelievable. That is, oh, that's incredible story, and that's just so awesome. And how was it going? Like you said, that ecstasy of qualifying in the Olympics, like achieving your dream, to just a couple months later hearing it would be cancelled, and you'd have to keep training though and staying fit indefinitely. Yeah, I think it was only like three weeks later that, uh, or maybe maybe a month later that, um, <laughs> that yeah, that they let us know that well, that either. Um, Australia wasn't going if it, if it went ahead, um, so that was a bit of kick in the guts, but then the whole thing got postponed, so I was very relieved at that point. Um, and, you know, I couldn't cry about myself because the whole world was, was going through something, and, and I just think, you know, there's people way worse off than me trying to go to a, to a competition. You know, people are losing their lives and their loved ones and, and their businesses and, and their livelihoods, so, you know, trying to keep myself in... Um, in perspective against the world, you know, is, is what got me through last year. Mm, and being in these Olympics, I guess to use one of the all-time biggest words this podcast has ever heard, uh, you've got to be really juxtaposed uh, with some of the challenges that uh, you've had to face uh, leading up to it, which you've spoken about, but I haven't really been able to work out uh, or find you speaking about specifically what some of those challenges are. So would you mind kind of delving into uh, some of the big ones? I know missing out on the Commonwealth Games must have hurt, uh, for example. Just quickly before Alex uh, answers that, if any other listeners had to get out a dictionary to work out what juxtapose means, you're not the only one. I've got nobody idea. <laughs> no, nah, neither do I. <laughs> Um, yeah, like uh, I felt like um, one at one point in my career uh, throughout a full year, um, only competed back home, and um, I felt like the the judging was being unfair against me. I don't know why. Um, there was there was almost a good amount of ten, like eight fights that that I that I felt like I got robbed in, um, and I, I felt like I had to fight a perfect fight to, to win, you know, a simple local belt, which, you know, to, to me after coming off a, um, you know, boxing for Australia for like the last two years at that point, um, it just, it just uh, baffled me as to why, why I wasn't getting these decisions. Um, and so that was a year that I really had to grind out and, and really choose to stick in the, into the sport because I just felt like, well, if I'm giving up everything and trying to put, as much as as I can into this and, and I compete really well and, and I was performing in, in these fights but I still wasn't getting the win I was like it's it's easy for them to these judges to rock up and and be here for an hour and, and take away the last five weeks that I just put in um from from a stupid call uh so that that really challenged me and and I think looking back at it now it's, it's made my commitment much stronger yeah, I can I can imagine like that. And it, is it correct that unlike in other sports, the refs or the judges have such a big say on the boxing matches, and it can be so subjective? Yeah, definitely. So, like boxing as a sport is subjective. It's it's one person's view of of what they think um, wins. There's obviously uh, like things in place to say, okay, this is this is what you would uh, rate over in a fight. That, that's going to give that person a round. Um, we just spoke to a, one of the judges that's involved with the, the boxing task force and he was talking about um, what the scoring is going to be like 
and what they're going to be looking for at the Olympics and there's quality of blows and then quality of blows is subjective. It's like, you know, what, what's a quality blow? Um, and, <laughs> and the more you ask these questions, the more confused you get, eh? So I think it it's pretty basic to, to, to score a fight. It's like um, I don't think it takes too much um, skill or talent. You usually can see who's won a fight, um, but sometimes these judges don't see that. Mm, well, you say that, but I'd watch a boxing fight. I'd just see two blacks smashing the shit out of each other. I'd have no <laughs> idea how to judge it properly. Uh, but I know you're ranked 154th in the world, I believe, highest ranked Australian in the uh, men's welterweight. But due to some of those, uh, as you say, unfair decisions that uh, you've been on the end of, do you feel like that should be higher uh, if the kind of – uh, you hadn't had luck go against you and you hadn't had these bad decisions and it was fair, fairly judged, to put it simply. Yeah, I think the, the rankings are subjective. Um, so uh, I really don't know who's doing doing the rankings. Um, it, it doesn't make sense to me um, because only the top 24 boxers in the world get to go to the Olympics. So it, really? other than that... Yeah, so it, some of it doesn't make sense. Um, they only yeah. also they only also like uh, count international bouts and things like that, which makes more sense. But um, some of them they don't ju- um, you know keep records of and things like that. So like I've looked up on my box track and it says that I've had like I think six six fights or something like that. But that's eleven, like, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So eleven meaning just like eleven international uh, yeah, competition right. competition fights. Um, and then sometimes they're not taking out, you know, inactive fighters, things like that. So, oh, well, there you go. It, sound, well, it sounds like you've stuck it up than being ranked 150th <laughs> or whatever you were, and be, obviously being in the top 24 to qualify to the Olympics. And sounds like the blokes doing the rankings are blokes like Harps and I have no bloody idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Big shout out to whoever does the rankings if they're listening. But, uh, so oh, actually, a bit flat, Harps. I thought Alex was going to say, no, you guys do have ideas. But no, he needs <laughs> <laughs> I was fishing for a compliment that didn't come. <laughs> no, he's, he's all right. Now, uh, the a kind of big, big issue coming into the Olympics, it's been delayed. Uh, so obviously we all know why it's been delayed, COVID-19, that famous old virus that we all uh, know and don't particularly love. So delayed Olympics for you, good thing or bad thing for you personally? I uh, take it with a grain of salt, really. Um, I've looked at it as a good thing. You know, I'm a year older. I'm a year, year more experienced. So, it, you know, if you if you want to go looking for, um, you know, the the problems, you're, you're going to find it. But you know, if you go looking for the solution, you're also going to find it. So, that's how I'm, I'm looking at it. Um, it was it was last year. I'm sure I'm a better fighter than, than I was last year. There's there's no way that I can't be. Um, else, I'm doing something wrong in training. Yeah, so it, it, it is what it is. Yeah, and I guess a massive positive is if it was a year ago, he, you wouldn't have gone to the Where Do We Begin podcast because uh, Harps and I weren't, <laughs> weren't there. But, yeah, there um, you go. Yeah, but I guess talking about that being a better fight, fight it was, was your last fight the qualifying fight in March 2020? Was that your last fight? Yes, it was. So how, how does it feel that you've gone from the qualifying? I guess it'd be normal, but it's been, it'll be a year and a year and a half almost and then you'll be fighting the biggest fights of your career. Yeah, um, it's it's a little bit of time out of the ring, um, but that's just where 
sparring and that's going to have to simulate them fights. So the ring rust is in them when, when we get back into it. Yeah, so coming into these Olympics, uh, 24 fighters, I believe you said. So that's one in eight uh, getting a spot, uh, getting a medal. Well, what's your what's your goal going into it? Have you got a particular uh, kind of uh, med- get on get a medal, or is is that a bit too high for you just yet? Well, what's your goal coming into these Olympics? This is going to be my last amateur tournament, so I'm not settling anything less than gold. Um, you know, they're they're human like me. I know that I have all the ability to beat them. Um, I've first all the guys at the top of top of my division with only three or four years experience, but you know they. I don't know what I'm capable of now. Buddy, I love that attitude, man. I cannot <laughs> wait to see you throw a few big punches. I don't know if that's a technical boxing term, but we'll roll with it here. And <laughs> yeah, we're going to we're gonna drop some on them. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's interesting. So when you say last amateur um, tournament, so after this, are you going to go like professional? Yeah, that, that's a plan. Wow, mate, uh, that's, that's great. I had no idea about that. So you're giving us a bit of a... Big headlight there. Yeah, that's an exclusive. <laughs> yeah. Let's hope let's hope your boss doesn't hear that you're planning on uh, moving on anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Um, it might it might cut, cut me from the team beforehand. <laughs> so coming into these Olympics, uh, you, now if you don't want to give anything away, you absolutely do not have to answer this at all if you want. But what, what do you think? Uh, the big areas uh, of concern for your opponents? What are your big strengths uh, when it comes to being in the ring? And yeah, what, what your opponents are going to be scared of about you, really? Um, they're going to be looking at old footage of, of things that I, all my bad habits and that, that I used to do. So they're getting prepared for, for an old fighter, not not the one that they're going to face. So what, but what are you, uh, even if they don't know about it, what are your strengths coming into um, the Olympics this year? You know, I'm I'm a very smart boxer, and and that's that's probably my biggest strength besides uh, my ability being being fast and being strong. Um, I think that combined is, is a dangerous fighter, and that's what they're going to see. Unreal, mate! And I can't wait to see that out on the ring. I will definitely be tuning tuning in. And have you ever been to Japan before? I mean, Harps and I have both been there. It's an absolute beautiful country. So, if the Australian Olympic Committee, if they're listening to this and they want to, they want to send a couple of tour guides over. Harps and I, we're very happy. We're happy to show everyone around. Yeah, definitely. Show them, show them a good time. <laughs> yeah, no, I haven't been to Japan, so it's it's going to be an experience in itself. Um, and I, I just, it's been the only country on my mind for the last four years. So. You know, to finally get get the ticket to be going, it's it's making things come come to reality. That's un- that's unreal. It's not much tourism going on for you. It's just all about the. <laughs> it's yeah. all about the fights. It's all about the competition. I'm guessing you're just going to be heading over there, competing, coming back, basically. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, they've pretty much let us know that uh, we're only there for our our comp. Um, obviously, because of COVID, so. Once, once you're out, you're out and you're, you're back home um, and then back in quarantine to, to be released afterwards. Uh, so it, it is what it is, but that, that's what's making it just about the, the competition in itself. And, you know, some people might get distracted at, at it being such a big event and it being an Olympics itself. So, you know, I'm, I'm here for, for what I've trained for and not for all the bells and whistles. Yeah, I was going to say because the Olympic Olympic party is obviously legendary. You hear about them all the time, but they're they're not running this year. But you're just there for the medal, which is what we love to hear, mate. And I can't wait to uh, see you with a medal wrapped around your neck. 
Thank you very much, bud. <laughs> yeah, and I'm guessing I probably should have looked this up, but uh, there's well, I know there's definitely going to be no overseas uh, people in attendance. Is there going to be anyone in attendance at all? Um, it's unsure at the moment. Okay. They've been talking about like a, a local crowd, but whether it happens or it doesn't, you know, that doesn't faze me too much. Um, at the end of the day, no, no one else is going to be in that ring with me besides the other guy and the re- and the referee. So um, that's that's all I'm looking forward to. Yeah, yeah. So um, just uh, a quick one before we kind of get into our uh, wrap, wrap this up and get into our famous little last segment. Uh, Something that I'm, I've been interested in because we've got a few people and it's their first Olympics, uh, uh, lots of them. So I feel like for lots of them, they're kind of expecting a bit of a extra pressure after the Olympics because they'll be considered an Olympian. You're going to be considered by lots of people Alex Winwood, the Olympian, as opposed to just Alex Winwood, the amateur fighter, like people might consider you now. So are you expecting a bit of pressure post-Olympics uh, uh, due to that just of competing at the Olympics, really? No, not really. Like, you know, I've competed on the national team at that two world championships, which is the equivalent of, a, of an Olympics, but um, there's more quota spots. So, it, it, you know, it it is what it is. Um, it's it's something that, that boxing as an amateur sport, it, it's the pinnacle of it. So I am very proud to go there and, and to represent Australia at the Games. But as for having the pressure, you know, it, that is what it is. And we can't wait to see you there. And we got our final question, which we always finish on, and it's the life philosophy. So this is really, is there anything that you sort of live your life by, any quote, any words, or any little, I guess, idea that you really, I guess, help helps you throughout your everyday life? I think just like leaving no stone unturned and and being kind to people is, is really how, how I take life as it is. Um, and I think that's done me pretty good so far, so I'm not going to skip the script now. Love it. Yeah, love that. And uh, Lockie might give you the impression that we are wrapping up, but we've got one <laughs> last little segment, a famous segment that we run on every show. It is the Where Do We Begin quiz. And I've got to say, I'm very excited for this. So uh, in every episode, I'm, I pit Lockie against our guest. I've got five questions that are all have some loose connection to you and your career, Alex. So, uh, yeah, five questions. Your name is your buzzer, so buzzing with Alex or Lockie, and we'll yep. start with question one. Ready to go, guys? Yeah. Yep. Okay, let's go for it. Uh, so question one. So uh, Alex was born on the 25th of June, 1997, which you very kindly told me because I could not find it anywhere on the internet. So thanks for that, Alex. <laughs> uh, so, That's yeah, anyway. Enough. Happy uh, birthday. (laughs) And thank you, bud. (laughs) Uh, On the 25th of June, 1997, the number one single in Australia was a song that was by Hanson and topped the charts for nine weeks. What's the name of the song? Any idea? I've got no idea, mate. I wouldn't have a clue. Just pass. Pass it? Okay. I reckon there will be a few people screaming uh, at (laughs) YouTube right now because it was was a bit of a one-hit wonder. The song was called Mbop. One of the most annoying songs of all time. I'd highly recommend not listening to it because it'll get stuck in your head <laughs> for weeks. <laughs> so, mate, can we insert freaking noises in? That is just that is not resonating <laughs> with me at all. Yeah, well, <laughs> you, you might know it when you hear it, but don't listen to it because it is. Oh, mate, it's like it pierces you and your soul for like months. Oh, it does my head in. Anyway, question two. So, 
Hopefully we can get off the mark here. Well, someone has to get off the mark here, actually, because <laughs> it's the closest to the pin question. So one of you is going to get it. Uh, obviously, um, qualifying for the Olympics, you qualified in Jordan. So closest to the pin, what is the current population of Jordan? It's a country we love here at Where Do We Begin? What are our favorites? 16 million. 16 million. Okay, Alex? Oh, wait, no. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, I'm going to 16, 16 million. million. Sure. 16. Lockie? I reckon it might be a little bit more. I'm gonna, so, but just because I suck, I'm going to go 17 million to be safe. I think it's going to be way more than that, actually. Yeah, I, I really it might think, be close to 50. I was going to say 40, actually. I'm going to change mine to 40. 50. I'll, go, I'll go 50 because I do think <laughs> it's actually 50. Okay, you guys, I might have to cut this out to make you not look like idiots because it's 10 million. Oh, <laughs> damn. <laughs> <laughs> 10.29 million. So uh, I'm going to give Alex the point. Okay. Jeez, uh, that's, a, that's a blind leading the blind there, Alex. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> Very lucky to get the point there, Alex, because you were way, way off if you wanted to change yours to 40. Yeah, well, you know, you just go up or down and then whoever gets the closest, you know, that's what it is. Yeah, well, if you said <laughs> 100 and Lucky said apart. 101 million, exactly you right. would have been right. Hey. Anyway, go to question three. Uh, Alex is 1-0 up. So, of course, your chosen profession, your chosen sport is boxing. So, I've got a little question about boxers. So, uh, if you remember your high school maths, you might get this question. So, if a box, a cubic box, uh, has the dimensions of uh, four meters in length, four meters in width, and four meters in height, what is the volume of the box? Four squared meters. That is incorrect. Lucky driver shots. Oh, four mate. by so four what's by the four. Volume? I do not. This is embarrassing. So, like, I think maths oh, is no. one of those things where, like, if you're te- like ten, where you're learning volume, you'll do it. But considering I haven't touched uh, any uh, shapes since I was about twelve, I've got G whiz. This is actually a struggle. I'm not sure if it's four times four or four times four times four, but I think because it's three dimensional, it's four times four times four. So what's that? Or well, four times four is sixteen. What's sixteen? Uh, <laughs> Listeners love this. This is great. 60, radio. 64. 64. 64. Your teacher would tell you to add the meters cubed, but I'll give it to you. Uh. Lucky one point. 64 <laughs> cubic meters. Yeah, Very nice. I, I re- once I realized, I was like, oh, shit, we're talking, we're talking about a box. We're not, not talking about paving. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, anyway, uh, we'll move to question four. So, of course, uh, you'll be in Japan in just a couple of months' time, even sooner. Uh, and we maybe. might be so, two halves. We've plugged ourselves. Yep. Yeah, exactly right. If the, the AOC sorts us out with some uh, tour guide visas or whatever, it'll be very <laughs> nice. Uh, so anyway, question four. So uh, I'm going to alternate between the two of you for this one. And whoever gets one wrong first uh, loses the point. Other person gets the point. So the te- uh, there's a list of the 10 most populous Japanese cities uh, we're just going to go Lockie, Alex, Lockie, Alex, or Alex, Lockie, Alex, Lockie. So go for it. Whoever wants to go first. Ten most right, Lockie, populous. Lockie, you can go first. All right. I'll, well, thanks for that. I'll just go Tokyo. <laughs> Tokyo, gonna, yep. He's taking the go, easy one. I think it's Kyoto. Is, yep, would been, Kyoto. Yep. Uh, yep. is, are yep. we counting Yokohama as part of Tokyo? Damn, that's me uh, Well, yeah, you can say Yokohama. I'll give it to you. Yokohama. Yep. <laughs> well, that's about as all the, all, all the towns I know, so I'm, I'm finished now. <laughs> do you, you want to... Have any kind of guess? Do you know a city that might be in Japan or a name that vaguely rings a bell? Do you want I'm, to just take a stab? I'm trying to remember this damn book that I read. It was all about Japan too. <laughs> this is why you need tour guides. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. Exactly. By Olympic Committee, we, we need these guys here, I'll tell you now. 
Yeah. Nah, yeah. I'm, I'm done. We've done? got one apiece now. I'll oh, go. two apiece. Two, 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 one. two one. Uh, Yeah, Lockie's up 2-1. I can, uh, I can have a go a few there, Harbs. I reckon that there'd be Hosaka, uh, Hiroshima, uh, Niseko, Niseko and Sapporo. Um, what else? Uh, don't know. I don't know the other ones, but... You don't get any more points for this, I'll tell you that yeah. now. Yeah, <laughs> not giving you any more points. <laughs> Just exactly the place right. I went to. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, you dished a few off there. So, top 10, Tokyo, Yokohama, Osaka, Nagoya, Sapporo, Kobe, Kyoto, Fukuoka, Kawasaki, and Saitama. Uh, Saitama's kind of part of Tokyo maybe as well, but we're counting it separately. Anyway, move to question five. Lockie's 2-1 up, uh, but Alex... Is still in with a shot because it's a who am I question. Going to go down from five points all the way down to one point with a series of clues. Uh, and once you get one wrong, uh, sorry, once you buzz in and get the answer wrong, you can't buzz in again till the other person gets it wrong. So I'll start with a five-point clue uh, all leading to who I am. So for five points, I was born on the 25th of June, so sharing your birthday, monumental day, great day, 25th of June. I was born on the 25th of June, 1961. To Lawrence and Eva. Uh, I'll move on to question four because you guys probably don't know who Lawrence and Eva are as of yet. So for four points, uh, I went to University College London where I met my partner of 39 years, Jane Fallon. And she's still my partner, actually. Well, not my partner, this, this person's partner. Alex? Going early. Just because of the last name, I'm just going to chuck. Oh, nah. Jimmy Fallon. Is incorrect. Oh, oh, he's gone very, very early, and he's gone. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> anyway, Lockie can just cruise through this because there's no pressure on him. He's winning, and he's the only one that can answer. So for three points, after initially attempting a career as a pop star in the 80s, I changed tack and appeared on TV's The 11 O'Clock Show between 1998 and 2000, garnering a reputation as a blunt and often controversial social critic. I know who it is. Yeah. You know who it is. Yeah. Uh, I've got. I've got no idea, but I want to. I want to make it. We'll go to the two point question, and then I reckon we are uh, we buzz Alex in. Add Alex. Oh uh, no! I've, I've googled it. That's that's cheating. Oh, I, I can't googled it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> no, I was going to say if you got it from that, that would have been very very good. But uh, he's googled it. So. <laughs> you still. I still could. You could have still won because I, if I get it wrong, I can't uh, cheat like that. I never yeah, cheat. I know. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, should have kept that on the download, mate. Anyway, we'll move to uh, the two-point clue. I made my breakthrough co-writing and co-directing two shows with Stephen Merchant, one of which had a famous US version. Uh, Lachlan? Yep. Is it Ricky Gervais? Spot on, Ricky Gervais. (laughs) I'm surprised that you got that. You're a beast. Is that what Google said, Alex? I heard. No, English. I just I, I I just googled her name and then it was like Ricky Gervais. So I was like, oh, shit, yeah, yeah. yes, <laughs> makes so much sense now. I just thought of the Office, and then I'm like, yeah, there's a US, and that's that's the thing I gave it to. Her. I just thought of the Office. Anyway, Alex, I think we better let you go. Uh, you've been super generous with your time, of course. To our listeners, you can check out Alex's song of the week, the song of the week choice, at our Instagram page at wdwbpod. That's wdwbpod on Instagram. Get on it. Thank you very much, Alex, for coming on, mate. <laughs> Seriously, been no, a thanks for having me, eh? Thanks, uh, thanks so and much for having us. Cheers for giving us the L, Lockie. Oh, 
thanks so much for that, Alex. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, mate. I just want to go run through a brick wall. I want to punch some holes in the wall. I'm absolutely pumped after that, mate. It was so much fun having you on. Oh, yes. It was so, so, so good. You could call it a crusket. It was that much of a cracker. It was awesome. So uh, thank you very much, Alex, for coming on. Thank you to all our listeners for listening. And uh, we've actually got a little message, a little message for you guys. We've spoken about it in the last couple of weeks. We're not taking any money from any shitty advertising brands that uh, we don't believe in and that are untrustworthy just to kind of get all the greed out of it. We're not, we're not doing none of that. So instead, what we're doing, we're starting up a buy me a coffee. I'm sure you guys all know what that is. You can donate as little as you want. You can donate five cents if you want, or you can donate as much as you want. Every cent counts. If you're going to buy a pack of gum today, maybe don't buy the pack of gum. Give us a couple bucks. You can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash where do we begin and support our quality, free, and independent service that we give to you on. We put a lot of work in. It will be much appreciated. Buddy, love it, Harps. And I'd just also like to say a quick thanks to all the listeners and thank you so much for your support. It was an absolute pleasure to be back and looking forward to being back next week. So am I. Buy me a coffee forward slash where do we begin. That's the link you go to. Thank you very much for listening, guys. We're having another Olympic special this time next week. See ya. See ya.